Hi there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining the show today. I'm Kelly from Qualio, and I'm your host here at From Lab to Launch. If you haven't already, please subscribe and give us a review on Apple or Spotify. We'd appreciate that. And if you want to be on the show, please see the application linked in the show notes. We've had a lot of people reach out and we absolutely love connecting with you. Today's guest is Lawrence Reed, CEO of Decibel Therapeutics. Did you know that hearing loss is one of the largest areas of unmet need in medicine? It affects approximately 466 million people worldwide, including 48 million people in the United States. We'll get more into the details of this with Lawrence, but Decibel has architected a whole platform to restore hearing and balance loss. With several treatments to their pipeline now, one in phase one clinical trials, they're making some great progress here. Also, if you want to see some really stunning images of the inner ear taken from their microscope, check out the gallery on their website linked below in the show notes. So without further ado, let's talk to Lawrence. Hi, Lawrence. How are you doing today? I'm good. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Uh, ah. Thanks very much. Love, love the introduction. And certainly can recommend the graphics. The ear is uh, an organ that lends itself really to some of the most amazing imagery I've ever experienced in, in, my, in my career in biotech. But anyway, thanks, thanks very much for having us. Uh, I'm excited to be with you and um, tell a little bit more about, about Decibel and what we're up to. Thanks for the intro. Awesome. I love the, the, the technology that's enabled us to take some of those images way better than my biology textbook from high school. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. We've come a long way since then. We have indeed. Since we've come so far, tell us a little bit about your mission at Decibel and what you guys are up to. Yeah, no, love to. Thanks very much for the opportunity. I'm going to be the, a little bit of the wet blanket out of the gate, and I'm going to remind your listeners that I do serve as the CEO of a public company, and uh, I'm happy to talk to you about uh, the things going on at Decibel and where we're going. Those are what I've referred to as forward-looking statements, but I'm going to remind you that they come with risk and unknowns, and we will do our best to execute, but there are no guarantees in the biotech world, as, as I'm sure you all uh, Absolutely probably live every day. Yeah. Yeah. So high level decimal. Our mission is to bring innovative new medicines to uh, people who are challenged with four different forms of hearing loss and balance disorders. It, it's that simple. What's exciting about it, there are many things that are exciting about that, but there are no therapies today, no pharmaceutical products of any description for people who suffer from any form of hearing loss or balance disorders, you conveyed the numbers of the magnitude of the challenge, you know, and therefore the opportunity to change the lives of so many people around the world, which is um, so exciting and I think motivating to you know, all of us who work in this small field. It's a real paradox that despite that massive um, set of opportunities and needs, global needs, as you, as you mentioned, that it's such a scientifically, there are the ear has been quite a difficult organ to work with. And I think we've opened it up at a molecular level in many ways in recent years. But it's also not an area where the large pharmaceutical companies have historically invested very much. That's going to change. It has to change for the reasons that you said. But right now, the playing field, there are really a sort of handful or so of small companies. We like to think of decibel as a leader amongst that cadre, but a number of small companies who are really at the vanguard of innovation in this field. 
and we're looking forward to welcoming some big farmer up that field over the next few years. But it's it's a very it's a really exciting time in in, in the field of, of novel therapeutics to think about hearing loss and and balance disorders as well. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the launch of Decibel and how you guys got started. Yeah, long before my time, I've been I've been had the privilege to be the CEO now for a little bit over a couple of years. The company itself is approximately six years old now, or at least in terms of sort of formal launch and investment. We were financed uh, in 2016 by a syndicate that was led by Third Rock Ventures together with GV, Google Ventures as they were, GV as they now are, and our friends um, at SR1. So outstanding uh, group of, uh, of investors. And the company had been worked on, Third Rock's model, as you're probably aware, is to nurture these ideas inside the venture firm for sometimes a couple of years before they decide these things are ready for prime time. I had friends back then who worked on Decibel before it was Decibel and took them a while looking at different opportunities, believing that the, the time was right for innovation and, and molecular innovation to bring new therapies to people to, uh, suffering from hearing loss. But they had a couple of goes at how they were going to get started, where they were going to get some technology from um, some big farmer and one or two other sources that bumped around. And ultimately, they believed they had the right start and the right startup team. And as I say, it launched the company in 2016. And the company, although a mere six years old, has had a, a winding road, as is not atypical for early stage biotechs. I think very much they start once these companies get started, they have a certain set of ideas, project senses, and some of those work out and some of them don't. I think Decibel was no different early on. Started off thinking about a lot of some biology that's involved in signaling directly between the sensory cells and the brain, protein factors that have been quite well characterized um, in the brain over the the last two or three decades. That didn't lend itself to fast paths forward for, for the kind of therapeutics that we were looking for. We've also explored over the course of the company's you know, short history with the Abbott News in terms of genetic forms of hearing loss, spent some time thinking about tinnitus, which is a real challenge for, for many people under the umbrella of, of hearing loss, and um, other things about more acquired forms of hearing loss. And it's really just in the last you know, two to three years that we've really focused down that, that our initial pipeline is being built around genetic forms of hearing loss with a focus on gene therapy, which we think is going to be, has the potential to be really an outstanding technology to bring therapy and pharmacology to the inner ear. I'm going to talk more about that, but it's, say, so it's been an evolution, even relatively early in the company's life. But, but what binds all that together, I think, is that, that um, my predecessors really built an outstanding scientific team and also technologies that the decibel has been at the leaders of deploying modern genetic genomics technologies into the inner ear to really expand our molecular understanding of the cells of the inner ear in ways that we believe are laying down um, almost a molecular infrastructure from which we're going to develop new therapies you know, in years to come. Well, and that leads very nicely into the next question about prioritizing your pipeline. <laughs> we noticed that you've got one auto protection therapeutic in phase one clinical trial. Way to go. Always love to see you and co- companies get that far along. What advice would you give your peers in the biotech space about prioritizing your pipeline? You, you know, it's, it's, a, 
it's a great question and there are, there are people um, more experienced and more able to talk about that question than me. But I give you a little bit of color from Decibel and what, what I think we've learned about our pipeline and one can, you know, there are lessons there. Our most, we have the interesting paradox at Decibel that our most advanced program is a small molecule program for the prevention of ototoxicity caused by uh, cisplatin-based chemotherapy. So patients who receive uh, cisplatin, many of them, particularly on the higher doses, can actually have a, a, a pretty severe loss of hearing, which has not been given the recognition that it, that, that it deserves, mainly because it plays it out in the context of people's lives that are on the line and their hearing loss is going to be a significant challenge for them in the years after they hopefully get cured. But it's not, it's not the priority at the time. But our, so that's our first product. And it really came out of the, those sort of earlier years of Decibel when we were exploring different ways, different biological routes to build a product pipeline and were driven primarily by biology. And so that product is in a, is in a clinical phase 1B study and there will be some proof of concept data hopefully being shared during the first half of this year. But behind that, where we were at Decibel was a belief that as we really came to understand the molecular basis of, of, of cell determination in the inner ear and understand the biology and understand how to think about therapeutics and how to deliver therapeutics to the inner ear, just a quick digression, your inner ear is a tiny organ that's enclosed in bone and uh, sits you know, in, in, inside your skull. So it's actually rather hard to access. And there are various routes that we've, that have been devised injections and other ways to get there. And we use a surgical route that, that, that cut through the bone to get our gene therapy to where we want it to act. But it's, um, you know, but, but we really felt gene therapy could be a, the basis of a platform for a pipeline of therapeutics for the inner ear. So what do we learn from that? I think we learned that, 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 that that you're constantly using science to reflect on how you build your pipeline. What are you learning about your, your favorite field? So we had our ototoxicity program, which as a standalone asset, we think is, is really important, but in terms of building a pipeline and therefore to have the chance to create a company that can be sustainable over years and hopefully decades to come, that we, we were looking for where were the opportunities to, to be able to take a therapeutic approach and then repeat it as it started to work. We felt as over the last sort of three years or so, the gene therapy can really be that leverageable, repeatable platform for the inner ear. And our lead program is we prioritize it. So that's been how we've shifted up our pipeline to where can we build a prioritize based on where we can really build and be sustainable over the long term. I think that's been a driver and that's often a driver when people of building a company around a platform rather than necessarily perhaps a particular piece of, of, of biology. And so on the back of that, you start looking for where are the opportunities that can both be viable products if they succeed, but also validate your thinking and your platform by providing a clinical readout in the short term, relatively short term that can actually give you belief in, in the platform and the, and the approach that you're taking. And so our lead program treats, our lead gene therapy, excuse me, is designed to treat a condition known as oderferlin-related hearing loss. So it's people 
children who are born with a profound form of hearing loss caused by mutations in the odoperlin gene. And what we liked about that as a place to start was that those children are born, they're profoundly deaf. So any ability to instate a hearing signal um, from their inner area back to their brain would be an advance that would be measurable in animal studies very easy when we have genetic models of this condition, but ultimately in the human beings. And secondly, one without a phone, although they have, they're unable to signal from the inner ear to the brain, the concept of sound, but their inner ear, their ear from what we can tell in animal models and in our human um, natural history studies, the ear appears to be intact. And so we believe that being able to introduce a gene to rescue the genetic um, flaw postnatally in these children has a chance to, to, to fix the signaling. Obviously there's still a lot of unknowns and, and risks involved in the, in the human clinical trial, but, but that we have an opportunity where we think that the chance of recovery of that hearing functionality postnatally is, we think it was the best place to get started. And we have other products coming behind it in our pipeline now, monogenic, also monogenic genetic forms of hearing loss, where we're going to use, try and use a gene therapy, but they get more complicated after Odafolin. Odafolin, we think is the really fantastic place. So what is, so we've learned about the biology of the inner ear. We learned how to develop drugs that deliver drugs and they're safely. And we learned about why gene therapy could be really powerful in the inner ear, where the technology was able to deliver genes and we picked through targets where we felt we could look at the, the clinical study that would eventuate and a, where could we get a signal that would be, um, robustly measured, quantitative, objective, reliable, relatively short term, and against a patient population where their background, namely that their ears appear to be intact, gave us the, you know, what we think so far is a good job of clinical success. That's what we've done a decibel, a little bit of learning in there. And something I think is like a lot of different platforms. I was lucky enough to be out on the island while it really expanded its focus on genetic disease of the liver and the lead program there, which became an approved drug was for TTR amyloidosis. And it was a, just a very clearly defined target in the liver that we could target and we knew how to measure it. And we knew what to measure as we went into clinical trials. So some analogies there. Nice. Yeah, that's exciting. I spent some time in the cochlear implant space in, oh. in my career. So I'm, I'm quite familiar with the, talking about the varying causes of those losses. Yeah. And yeah, there's it's interesting because, of course, you want to empower children who are born deaf to hear as soon as possible so that they can develop their speech patterns and all those kinds of things. But it's interesting because it's very it's a tough decision to make. If you do a cochlear implant, that's, that's very invasive. And so it's the idea that we could restore normal hearing in, in places directly in the locations in ways that are maybe not as invasive and destructive to the existing structures. That's pretty exciting technology. It, it, it is. Kelly, that's, a, that's a, if you just add up ideas, you and I could talk about that for the rest of the night. I think cochlear implants are one level remarkable technology and children who have odophonin deficiency, they are the standard of care today in the developed world is to provide them with, a, with one or two cochlear implants. But you touched on an even more important point, which is that children born with 
profound hearing loss, such as children with an autofoil deficiency, that medically we refer to that as a neurodevelopmental emergency. And it really reflects to exactly what you said, that all of our learning is driven by language and, and, and social interactions with our parents, with our families, ultimately with our, with our school playmates and, and, and teachers. And hearing is really at the core of that and born profoundly with profound hearing loss is severely impaired or inhibited in their ability to communicate with all of those people and ultimately has a significant potential impact on their, you know, on their cognitive development. And there, there is a quality of that can extend, uh, you know, well into adult life and a cochlear implant, let's say, one well, that is, is a wonderful technology. We believe that with gene therapy, there's the possibility based on some of our animal studies that we're going to be able to restore signaling from, from the brain to the brain, excuse me, from the inner ear that might instate physiological form of hearing in these children really for the first time. Cochlear implants really, it's a fairly coarse form of hearing and it, it's it enables strong social interaction, certainly compared to profound hearing loss. But for example, we, we believe that if you have a child with a cochlear implant and you drop them into a regular school classroom, that they're probably going to understand or they're going to pick up about a third, maybe a half of what's going on. And if you think about the, that learning and social environment, it's really quite challenging. And it's, this is not, these are assistive devices. They're not really curing it in, the, in, in a sense to the challenge that these children are born with. And as I say, long way to go with gene therapy. And there's only been one clinical trial so far, but there will be multiple now in, 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 the, in the coming years. But the chance to really take hearing loss in these children to a, to a quality and a disease modifications that we think could be maybe very significant relative to the, the, the current device technology. Definitely. Definitely. I know parents wrestle with that and, and knowing, and it was yeah. fascinating for me. I know it's as, as an engineer <laughs> in the in device industry, I really had this impression that this medical device was just going to restore their hearing. But when you look at taking analog signals, for example, and converting that to a digital signal, there's a depth that's lost. It's when you compress analog hearing into digital. And so you're right that while it does restore some very coarse hearing it isn't that's uh and it's pretty exciting about it from a genetic perspective that's interesting so tell us a little bit about the amplify program then so if we switch over to addressing auditory neuropathy instead we'd love to little know a little bit more about why you decided to collaborate with another company that's invitae i believe to bring about a solution yeah, it's a great question. The industry, the, the biotech industry collaboration with people who have complementary skills and resources is, is a fundamental aspect of how we build our companies and, and help our products come to market. One of the challenges, it, because it's such a new field and, uh, and genetic hearing loss is doesn't today have a therapeutic benefit that one of our main needs is to educate physicians and, and the population about the importance of genetics in hearing loss, and there are many different forms of uh, genetic forms of hearing loss. And um, so we partnered with Invita. Invita is, is, is a fantastic leading genetic testing company, and we experts in the inner ear. We know a lot about the genetics of hearing loss, and we're, we're sort of drug developers, but we're, we're not a genetic testing company, and, and we, that was not 
part of our business model. So we partnered with Invite and we're actually with them offering a pre-genetic testing service. And that's serviced in children who have an auditory neuropathy, which is the inability to signal from the inner ear to the brain that we're assaying about 200 genes um, that are candidates to be genetic causes of hearing loss in patients who, who provide a genetic sample. And the first, really the primary goal is to begin to educate physicians primarily and, and then families as well about the importance of genetics in hearing loss. And obviously that's where um, ultimately where we think the first generations of therapies are going to come from. And so it was designed to be um, an educational program that would provide a service that has two families, even advance of the therapies in terms of managing um, expectations of perhaps their child's um, trajectory in terms of, of, of the physiology and the, and, and the challenges that they may be about to encounter. So there's some utility, you know, in what we measure, but it was to start with, it's an educational program about about the importance of genetics within the whole field of, of hearing loss. Well, that leads to the next question then quite nicely. How do you see the industry evolving over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, so it's it, it, it's a good question. I think some of my colleagues in the, in the industry would answer that one differently. So I'm going to give you my answer and, and you can... Uh, you can I can talk to them about it later. <laughs> you can talk to them about, uh, about their ideas. You started off with, with the numbers, hearing loss and it's such a, a massive opportunity, but of course, hearing loss, like many common diseases, is there, there are many different forms of hearing loss. We've been talking about a lot about genetics. Genetics is actually a minority cause of, of hearing loss. Hearing is mediated by special sensory cells called S cells in your inner ear. We lose those. Everybody loses those almost linearly over the course of your life. So sooner or later, we're all going to start to um, have some degree of, of, of challenge with hearing. And it's about the rate. So ultimately, there are a large part of that population is just due to a natural attrition of hair cells. Other people are unfortunate enough to lose hair cell levels and therefore functionality of their of their inner ear due to environmental insults, severe noise being obviously many veterans suffer from, from hearing challenges. There are some kinds of chemicals, so pharmaceuticals that can cause fairly severe forms of hearing loss. So there's a, there's a multitude of different ways that, we, that people lose their hearing. And biologically, those might look very different in terms of the etiology of, of those diseases. We like genetics as and, and really understanding this form of hearing loss is caused by a defect in this gene. And I, I think now that, that some of the earliest breakthroughs may be able to be enabled by, by gene therapy treating very specific, but relatively rare forms of hearing loss. And then I think the real, the, there are two, I would say, holy grails with, within our field. They're probably intertwined medically, but, but not completely understood. One is, so the first one is going to be this, you know, much more common acquired forms of hearing loss. And can we either halt? or reverse the process of care cell loss. And we have ideas about how that might happen with gene therapy that are very early in our research, earlier in our research pipeline. And I think they will probably follow after some of these genetic forms. And then another big problem, which I think is a hard problem is tinnitus, which can be a very, uh, very challenging condition that is probably a potentially more a better understood at the level of the, of the signaling within, within the brain. And, and that's sort of the other real holy grail of, of these fields, but very difficult. And that's, that's not an area we work on, but it's, I think over the next several years, as we continue to understand signaling into the brain, 
um, from the ear that that hopefully solutions will start to uh, reveal themselves there, but it's really the other piece of another major piece of the definitely. Yeah, biology is nothing if not complex. One more question, and then we'll head towards wrapping her up. If you could go back and tell yourself something <laughs> at the start of your career, <laughs> what would that be? This, this is such a great question. I don't know where you guys come up with this question relative <laughs> to talking about drugs for the ear. Let's uh, ask Lawrence to reveal his foibles. I, it, it is a great question. I think I would say two things and, and they're going to appear like a classic sort of paradox of the app. So I would say the two things that most profoundly dropped into my thick skull over the past 25 years were firstly be yourself, but understand how yourself impacts your colleagues around you and thereby how it can limit your limit your path to, to to try and get done the things that you want to that you want to do, and I can you know provide a little bit of color on that and quite a funny story when I was having I was I've been a business development guy for much of my career, and my first manager at Millennium was a gentleman called Steve Holtzman who was one of the leading business thinkers in the industry over the past I don't even put a number on that over the past decades and he was doing my performance review and he was like Mark and I we'd, we'd really like to play poker with you sometime which was his way of telling me that, that Lawrence does not have a poker face and maybe as a business development person I needed to learn one so I tried to do that for a couple of years and, and just failed and, and eventually I decided okay that's not going to be my route I'm, I'm not going to do this like a poker game and I'm going to come at business development from a you know as me and which I think people generally have found to be, this guy's pretty straightforward. He's going to tell us what he needs and he'll be fair and he'll listen to what you need. And that was me being me and not trying to be a poker player that I was clearly going to fail at being. So that was sort of me getting more comfortable with trying to think about being myself rather than an aspiration. I would not want to play poker with Steve Ormer because I would lose horribly as he well knew. But I think later in my career, you have to understand being yourself impacts other people and can get in the way of, of achieving what you want to achieve. And I grew up in a culture in the UK that loved a good argument. I love a good argument. And, but it, it, in a work environment, you have to go at that thoughtfully. And I realized a few years ago that how I got into debates in, in a working environment was often getting in the way of what I was trying to achieve with, in a collaborative way with colleagues who I enjoyed working with and wanted to try and do exciting things with, and it was getting in my way. And I just really think about how my normal self was impacting them and, and, and their appreciation of what we might do together. So that was the second big look. So the two things go, they're slightly intention, but that's, that's uh, it's like to be yourself, but understand how yourself impacts other people. That's how I would put that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. We here at Qualio, we're really big on being authentic. We don't want to be, we don't want to feel contrived right. or that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, but just because you're authentically you doesn't mean that somebody else and being authentically themselves is not necessarily going to be a good mesh. So yeah, it's, that's it's right. interesting. No, yeah. I, I think that's exactly right. And I think it, ultimately it, it turns into an understanding of the kind of people you want to, you want to work with and that you choose to work with as people that you can enjoy working with and being yourself and being impactful while being yourself. So and yes. the two things you need to solve for. Definitely. Thank you so much for your time today, Lawrence. Where can people go to learn more, follow along and connect with you? Oh, so we have a wonderful website full of you know great pictures of, of the inner ear and the incredible cell biology that my colleagues do. That's decibeltx.com. And we're on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I also show up myself from time to time on LinkedIn and, uh, 
and Twitter. And I'm um, always happy to engage with people who are interested in anything to do with novel innovations for therapies for the inner ear. So um, appreciate that. And you know, thanks very much for, for having me and uh, enjoyed the discussion. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.